we saw that God is our reward in prayer and fasting. It's not an outward appearance. It's not an appearance of godliness, but it is God who is our reward. He is the one we desire to commune and fellowship with. And this morning, we look at how Jesus begins his ministry preparing for what God wants to do in and through him. He knows that he has come for a purpose, and that purpose is to defeat sin and death on the cross. He came to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserved so that we could have life. And this morning, we look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and learn how fasting helps us understand our need for God. All right? So, Charles Spurgeon, uh, if you don't know him, he's a London pastor from almost a century ago. And he said, our seasons of fasting and prayer at the tabernacle, is which where he preached, have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gates stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer to the central glory. And guess what? Everybody in this, in this, in this church this morning, everybody understands that our, our lives can get a bit crazy from time to time. And we can get to a point where we are worshiping the things that God has created for our pleasure than rather than worshiping the creator himself. And fasting is a way to begin to put the chaos of our lives back into order so that we can delight in our God. All right, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1, if you stand in honor of reading God's Word, we're going to look at the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Um, we'll look at that together. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw down yourself. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering 
to him. The word of God. Let's, be, let's pray real quick. Let, you can be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for all that you're doing here. We ask, Father, that you would use this time, Father, to spend in your word, to hear from you, to hear your voice of the Spirit of God inside of us. And Lord, we just, we just pray, Father, that we would be people who understand our need for God. Father, we know that um, we are distracted. Father, we know that the enemy wants to tempt us. And yet, Father, we know that what we need is you. Not perfection, not all of these things, but we need you, Lord God. Help us to see this in this passage this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, one of the ways that the enemy tries to trick God's people, especially in the United States, is to believe that we have everything that we need. I, I, I hear this term often used when people are talking about hard things in their life or difficult things that they walk through or even just everyday normal things. I hear this term, I got this, right? I got this. Have you ever met somebody who didn't need anything or didn't need any help? In 2016, uh, Rio uh, in Brazil was hosting the Olympic Games. And I'm, I'm watching the Olympic Games in 2016. I'm excited about 2020. But we like to watch the Olympic Games. And all of a sudden, I'm watching the aquatic events and I see this green pool. You'll see it on the, on, the, on the screen behind me, right? You can see what a normal pool looks like on the right. And you see this green pool. The water is green. And the, the professional divers are trying to look, dive into what looks like a lake. Not a good look for the organizing committee. And I uh, Googled it up and I, I read an article of how this could happen. This is the Olympic Games. It's, it's a huge deal. Athletes are trying to get algae out of their eyes, you know. And somehow someone messed up, right? I mean, someone messed up pretty badly to see this green water. And I read the article, and it says that someone thought that they could put some chemicals in the water that canceled out, and it ended up canceling out the chlorine. So overnight, algae grew into this pool, and they were unable to fight off the algae. <laughs> and it turned green. So the pool looked like the first summer I was pool master in high school, and I was demoted that year, that summer, to pool master number four behind the dog. So I, I, was, I was pretty far down on the depth chart. But this is the opposite attitude of Christ, the Son of God, before he begins his ministry he says, I, I need God more than I need food. I need to trust his word, and I am living for his glory. Jesus says, I'm fasting for 40 days to prepare 
for the ministry that God has for me. He has sent me for a purpose. This is what Jesus shows us in this story. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to prepare himself to be used by God, if he had to spend time with the Lord fasting in the wilderness by himself only to overcome the enemy, what does it say about our need for God? I want you to think about a church for a minute. Any church. What are the first things that people think about or ask about if they're wanting to come to a church or they're in need of a church? What, what do you need in a church? Does, it, does this church have people? Does it, does it have community? Do my, my friends go there, right? Does the church have pastors? Do the, church, the pastors care about the people? Do they have good teaching? Does the church have a building? Is, it, is the building cool? Is it a place I can feel comfortable? Does the church have good programs? Does it have things I can get involved in? Do I feel good about all of these things? And pretty soon, the, any church is pouring everything they have into these things, going, this is a great place, and why wouldn't people want to come here saying, we got this? only to see the algae begin to grow overnight in the hearts of people within that church. So I got to ask this question this morning, church, do we need God? Is that all that we need? Do we delight in the goodness of our God? And do we enjoy the blessings in which he gives to us because he loves us. You see, we got this then turn, turns into God's got this. It's no longer about what we can do, but about what he does and wants to do. You see, fasting helps us to reset our minds to a point that we understand our need for God. It takes our disorder and chaos and puts back into order what God's design is for our life, and it is to delight in Him. In Matthew chapter 3, in the preceding verses up to this, Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he says, baptize me. John's like, no, I don't want to baptize you. you. Do you know who you are? The very son of God, the Messiah? Not because Jesus needed repentance, but to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what is he doing? He's identifying with mankind and their sin as the one who would come and redeem mankind from sin. You see, he came to take our place, and this is significant because he begins his ministry and the coronation of Jesus as king as saying, baptism, this is what I came for. This is the good news message about Christ, about me, that I am going to die on the cross in place of sinners. 
and resurrect to give them new life. You see, Jesus is identifying with us, not because he needed repentance, but because he knew that we needed repentance and faith in him. And in verse 16 and 17, and when uh, of chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, and the preceding verses of chapter 4, in Matthew 3, 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This shows the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that he's in perfect relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We actually talked about this last week. This is actually why we are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, because we are now children of God. We are baptized into this love in which we were created for this perfect love. Now, this is where we were in the Garden of Eden. We were in perfect love with God in the garden until Satan comes and he tempts Adam and Eve. Verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wednesday night, we talked about the temptation in the Garden of Eden with the serpent of Adam and Eve. This time, it's not the perfect garden. The temptation is in the wilderness, the broken, the barren, the hot, the rocky, unpopulated wilderness. And this is the second Adam, Jesus himself, not the pristine, fruit-filled, beautiful, spring-fed garden of Eden, but the Spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, we have to ask ourselves this question, why? Why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? James 1.13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Yet God often uses Satan's tempting to do evil as his own means for testing for good. In this case, Satan wanted to do, in leading the son, he wants to lead the son into sin and disobedience. The father uses to demonstrate Christ's holiness and worthiness. Sound familiar? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. You see, God is using testing, even sometimes in our own lives, for his glory to be shown. 
Praise God that Christ has overcome the temptations of evil. And now we are given the Holy Spirit, the same spirit in which Jesus has here to overcome the temptations in our life. Verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Maybe that's, maybe that's a bit simple, simplistic, right? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Did we need that commentary there? Thank you, Matthew, for that commentary. He was hungry after not eating for 40 days. I don't know about you, but for one meal, I'm hungry. He is feeling the temptation. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 3, And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the very mouth of God. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, the enemy thinks that he is actually the weakest, and yet Jesus is actually the strongest. And why is that? Well, because he spent 40 days in prayer and fasting, communing with the Father. He was prepared for the temptations of the enemy by communing with the Father, spending time with the Lord. You see, the path to the cross begins at temptation where Jesus fasts for 40 days. He knew the only way he, can, he could endure the cross was to love God. And that he would be willing to give up his life. Fasting was a proving ground that he had that kind of resolve. You see, he, he somehow, and the reason why the Spirit of God descends on him is somehow he, he rejects his deity here and he relies upon the Spirit of God and his full humanity to be able to overcome Satan himself. This is why we've asked and invited the people of God here at this church to fast during these 30 days of prayer. If Jesus shows us that he needed to fast to be prepared for what God wanted to do in and through him, how much greater is it for God's people? How much more do we need to fast? This is point number one here as Jesus and Satan talk back and forth. The church needs God more than the desires of this world. The church needs God more than the desires of this world. Fasting reveals and places back into order those things in which are broken or those things in which are disorder in our own life. We don't want as a church to worship the created things. Rather, the church needs to worship the creator alone. And fasting gives us a chance to be ready to fight off the enemy schemes. Let's look at the enemy schemes. 
Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now Satan tries to put in, in our minds what God has placed as periods or truths. Satan tries to question those things from the word of God. And the question here that Satan is trying to ask or put in the mind of Christ is this. Does God really know what is best for me? Jesus is hungry. He knows that he needs food. He knows that a little roll of bread won't hurt him, right? Satan even recognizes that he has the power to turn the stone into bread. What's the problem with a little loaf of bread? The problem is when we say, God, I need this, so I'll take it when I want it, we are saying we trust in ourselves more than we do God. You see that? God, I really want these things on my own terms. And, and sometimes we take this in, in good things in which God gives as blessings to us. Maybe a perfect marriage, a new house, a new car. What we really need is God himself. We take these good things and we try to elevate them above God. In the Garden of Eden, the, the enemy uses the same tactic on Eve. Did God really say not to eat of any tree in the garden? Does God really know what is best for you? This is the enemy's tactics to, not, to try to get you to question God's character himself. Does he really care about me? Does he really know what's best for me? And to question his word. If you are the son of God, what did he say in chapter 3, verse 17? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Does God really know what you need? Or should you just take and eat, right? Referring back to the Garden of Eden, take and eat. That's essentially what Jesus, or what the enemy says to Jesus, take and eat. You deserve it. This, this plays out in, in our everyday life. You deserve to click on that website, take and eat. You deserve to respond to that person in anger, take and eat. You deserve to drown your sorrows away in your addiction, take and eat. Jesus likes bread. He breaks bread with his disciples at the Last Supper. He multiplies five loaves and two fish and feeds 5,000. Jesus eats bread and fish with his disciples after the resurrection. He enjoys bread. Bread is not the issue. The issue is a lack of trust and faith in God. I'm going to do it on my own terms, my way. I need this now. So let me ask you this question. Is the dough that you have a blessing or a curse? Did you do whatever it takes to get that dough? 
Or did you trust the promises of God and are resting in his blessings? I think the easiest example of this is, is uh, stick with me here, is a, a, ju- a drug lord, right? You've all seen the movies of drug lords and whatnot. They cheat and pilfer their way for their money. They get all their money and they put it in, in walls, right? They keep it hidden from people. People can't see it. They put the cash in the, in the walls and, and they drive around in, in semi-nice cars so nobody will know that they they're actually have all this cash and they drive a semi-nice home and they're always looking over their shoulder going, oh, is somebody watching me? Is somebody after me? What's going on? Rather than the guy who lives on the beach openly filthy rich, freely giving what God has given to him, enjoying everything because he has nothing to hide. Not that becoming rich is the end goal, but the illustration is the person who has the right order and lives enjoying the blessings of God, waiting on the blessings of God and enjoying them as blessings, not worshiping those blessings, but worshiping God first in the right order. He freely enjoys his life rather than taking and eating of our own time in our own way. And guess what happens after this, right? Verse 11, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering him to him. You think the angels ministering to him probably brought him a loaf of bread? It doesn't say. We don't know. But I guarantee you Jesus is eating at this point. And guess what? That bread tastes so much sweeter because he trusted in the promises of God rather than taking and eating on his own terms. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Psalm 42. Let's look at verse 5 here. The devil's second, second try here. He gets three strikes, then he's out. But the second try, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest they strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil here is tempting Jesus by twisting the word of God. Maybe I can get him here by not knowing the word. Maybe I can get him here by twisting and justifying in his own mind what he wants to do. This is our second point this morning. The church trusts God's word. The church trusts God's word. The church trusts this word as the inherent word of God, infallible word of God. What it is. And Satan's question here that he's asking, that some of us listen to this question often, is Does God really love me? 
Does God really care about me? Remember, verse 17, he says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Who does Christ declare us? Who does God declare us as salvation? We are declared righteous, children of God. We are declared as salvation, children of God. And we ask the question often, if God really cared about me, wouldn't he do this for me? If you're really the son of God, shouldn't he save you from this fall? Wouldn't he do that? If you were really a child of God, would he have you go through this really difficult time in your life? Would you, would you really have to go through this marital problem? Would you really have to have the trouble at work? Would you have this difficulty in the classroom? Would you have all these financial issues? Would you really have to do these things if you were a child of God? You see, we don't interpret God through our circumstances, but according to his word. Sometimes we play this game. God must really love me because of how well that I did. That's fine until you don't do well, right? <laughs> then guess what? You don't do well, and, and the enemy's in your ear going, oh, well, God must not be pleased with me. God declares us righteous at salvation, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ did on the cross. That what for we rest and we have faith in Christ, not our own works, not in what we do, not in anything that we do. That's why Jesus came. This is the beauty of the gospel. He didn't have to walk through the temptation of Satan, but he did. He didn't have to be baptized, but he was baptized. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death we deserved to die. He took our place, and thus we stand before God, being able to trust how much he loves us, not based upon our own merit, but based upon the merit of Christ. We don't have to put the Lord, the God, to the test. Why? Because we trust the finished work of Christ on the cross. Our identity in, is in Christ. Our identity of who we are is in Christ. That's what it means to be a church that stands upon the word of God, is somebody who trusts the word of God. Trust what he says. A church that questions the promises of God is a church that doesn't fully rest in the finished work of of the cross. If you look at all the great stories in the Bible, men and women trust God rather than their circumstance. Look at it with me. Noah and the flood. Noah bigs this, builds this big boat. Before it's ever rained, he puts it on land. He trusts God rather than his circumstance. And he trusts that God would save him from the flood. Abraham goes to sacrifice his son, and yet he's trusting God. Moses goes to part the Red Sea, 
And what is he doing? He's trusting God, not his circumstance. Everybody around him is going, this is terrible. You brought us up out of the wilderness. You brought us up out of Egypt just to be destroyed by Pharaoh's army. Ruth, she has no husband and no home. And what does she do? She trusts God, not her circumstances. Joshua is in front of a huge fortified city that God's told him to conquer. And he's going, what am I supposed to do? He's trusting in God, not his circumstances. Nehemiah sees the wall, and it's broken down. There is nothing there. The city is in ruin. What's he supposed to do? Trust God rather than his circumstances. Daniel's being tossed into the lion's den, and he's going, what am I going to do? I'm going to trust God rather than my circumstance. Mary finds herself pregnant out of wedlock. Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. After 40 days with no food, what does he do? He trusts God rather than his circumstance. And then what does Jesus do? He hangs on the cross. He's trusting God. Church, we don't trust in our circumstances, we trust the word of God, what he has declared over us as children of God, that we will one day be with him forever, that he has given us the spirit and power in us to be able to proclaim the message of the gospel to the nations. We have to trust that. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, this last point is this. The church brings glory to God alone. The church brings glory to God alone. The Satan tempts him with the lust of the flesh. Take and eat. You need it now. He tempts him with the lust of the eyes. I can't trust what God has said. My eyes are telling me something other than what the word of God is telling me and the boastful pride of life. I can be like God. I can do better than him. I am going to take what is mine. I know better than God. The word for glory, which is in our third point, means weight in the Hebrew. And it means that any time that we place anything in weight above God, we rob him of his glory. Anything. Not just the worship of Satan, which he says, bow down and worship me. The worship of anything. The worship of self. The worship of money. The worship of our children. The worship of our marriage, our spouse. 
the worship of our things, the worship of our teams, the worship of our entertainment, the worship of food, the worship of any idol that we place in a weight above the Lord, we rob him of his glory. And here's where we land as a church. We can have the greatest facilities. We can have the nicest programs. We can have the best looking pastors. The greatest community groups. But if we do it for our glory, rather than the glory of God, which is a temptation, by the way, then we miss out on the enjoyment and rest in the blessings of God. See, God is not providing for me and you and this church in ways to seek our own gratifications apart from him. Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3, which reminds us of why God took the Israelites into the wilderness before he took them into the promised land. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 8, 2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So when you wander around in your wilderness, as an individual or as a church or as a community group or whatever that may be, as a family, know that maybe God is taking you into that wilderness so that you may know that you don't live by bread alone, but you but live and you need God himself. You see, there's two different ways to look at life. You can say, I got this, or God's got this. Which way are you going to look at your life? These next 23 days we have in prayer together as a corporate body, we're going to be asking the Lord to do things in our own life, in the life of our church, and in the life of our community that only he can do. But guess what? It begins with our own hearts our own need for the Lord. More than we need anything else, we need the Lord. And guess what? Fasting is a way that teaches us this. Fasting is a way to prepare our heart for ministry. 
Fasting is a way to, to separate the temptations and the chaos in which our lives get into with everyday living as we walk on this earth. So I'm going to encourage you guys during this time to fast, maybe one day, maybe a week, maybe three days, maybe just one meal. And pray during that time in which you're supposed to be eating. And ask the Lord to be that which you need.